0: You know, normally I like to begin The Andrew Claven Show with a few satirical remarks to add an atmosphere of rambunctious hilarity to the apocalyptic events of the day. Teams of writers and producers scour the internet for appropriate material. N- not for me, I'm here by myself, but something, somewhere, that's probably happening. Unfortunately, given the daily pressures of life, I can't always create satire that's as funny and absurd as the competition, namely reality. So here's a true story, untouched by human hands. The United Nations and the nation of Japan have entered into a tense conflict over acts of violence against cartoon women. No, really, this is true. Last month, the UN assembled a committee to discuss issues of sexual violence, fair pay for women, and the treatment of pregnant women in the workplace. Although what pregnant women are doing in the workplace, the committee didn't mention, since obviously they should be home taking care of themselves because they're pregnant. Maybe they'll take that up at another meeting. Where was it? Oh, yeah. As their top priority, I'd like to repeat that, that's, this is their top priority, the United Nations wanted to address the possibility of banning Japanese video games, manga, and anime comics that contain sexual violence against women. This urgent request was sent to the nation of Japan, where it received a response from the Japan's Women's Institute of Contemporary Media Culture who responded to the United Nations, and this is a real quote, We are absolutely in agreement that the protection of the rights of women in Japan is important. On the other hand, if we are asked to consider whether protecting women's rights in Japan requires us to ban the sale of manga and video games depicting sexual violence, then we must reply that that is an absolute no. The reason for our opinion is that the so-called sexual violence in manga and video games is a made-up thing and, as such, does not threaten the rights of actual people. Therefore, it is meaningless in protecting the rights of women. Furious at this response, the UN has launched an attack against Japan by an international task force commanded by Captain America. Iron Man and Thor will provide backup, and Aquaman will head up the offshore operations. UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon told reporters, quote, if I wanted to deal with reality, I wouldn't have come to work at the UN. Or gone walking around with a manga name like Ban Ki-moon. Ban Ki-moon then left the conference for a top top-level meeting with Pikachu. I may have been making some of that last part up. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is the Andrew Claven Show. <laughs> that's, part, part of that was actually true. That whole manga battle is a real thing. I love the Japanese response. Oh, uh, you know, I'm sorry, but that's they're not real people, you know. It's like Oh, oh, now I see. When, you, when those cartoons are cartoons with those big eyes, people don't really have to. All right. Let us, let us service our sponsors. We love our new sponsor. We have Reagan.com, who are here to protect your privacy. And I have to say, I was thinking about this after the show. It really, you know, it really, it started out, you would go on Amazon.com, and I would buy, you know, a Russian novel. And the next time you went on Amazon.com, it would say, well, you like Russian novels. Here are some other Russian novels you might like absolutely fine. I really like that. It was very helpful. Now, if I write an email to my brother in New York saying, oh, I really enjoyed this Russian novel, ads show up on my computer. I'm like, "Ooh, you know, don't do that. So your privacy is under attack everywhere. And it's not just, it's big tech companies that are scanning your emails to target you with unwanted advertising. And the government agencies, of course, you only have to look in your laundry ha- hamper, and there's probably some agent in there. And they're collecting data at alarming rates, so what you do is you take back your privacy by getting an email address at Reagan.com. You get your name at Reagan.com as your private email address, which allows you to proudly share President Reagan's name with every email you send, especially the ones you send to your liberal brother-in-law that will just drive him crazy, knowing your emails will never be scanned or shared with third parties. They protect your privacy, so go to ReaganPrivacy.com right now and secure your personal private email address. And if you do it, Right away, you get two free bonus months at ReaganPrivacy.com. All right, so let's. Uh, I have a lot to talk to talk about. First of all, it's International Women's Day, which may be the stupidest idea anyone's ever had, but but you know it's, it's, a, men's, it's a man's idea, and men are stupid, so that, you know that's an idea. But we just to go with it, we have the stupidest Hollywood controversy to talk about, and we'll get to that. But first, let me go back to the UN because actually, this thing at the UN does speak to something. Just the U.N. itself speaks to something that's going on kind of in our election cycle. I, I don't understand what the purpose of the U.N. is. I've never understood why we should have a United Nations and what the logic behind that is. And if you ask people, like, what has the U.N. ever done? First of all, they have to go back in time. You know, it's like years and years since the U.N. has ever done anything useful. And really, what the only thing they've ever done is kind of been a coordinated charity, like UNICEF. You know, they'll collect money for children and who knows where that money goes when they send it to some of these countries, probably going, yes, I have a throne made out of the bones of children. Does that count? Uh, You know, I guess so. And so, so they have that, and they have the World Health Organization. But really, the entire logic of the UN, when you think about it, it makes no sense. If a country is not free, then the guy who's the leader of the country is not a nation, right? He's just a guy. If I walk into a restaurant with a pair of, like, automatic weapons and take over the restaurant. That doesn't make me the restaurant. I don't become Lutes because I've taken the hostages in Lutes. So, you know, why is a guy like, you know, a Saddam Hussein or Assad, you know, a guy who who's, hasn't been elected, where there's no constitution, where he's just in there for life and he's just the guy with the most guns, why is he a nation? Why is he debating with the president of the United States? Why does he get the same vote? And you can say, well, you know, you've got to be realistic. China is very powerful, and you can't just say the this heads of China are not a nation. Yes, you can. I mean, if, if we want to debate with China, if the legitimate leaders of the United States, whether we like them or not, they're legitimate elected leaders. If they want to negotiate with China, that's fine with me. But why should there be any place where China has the same vote we have? I mean, we should have an organization of states that by their, the minimum requirement for entry is your guys have to be elected for a stated term that ends, that's not life. And you have to have a constitution that protects the minorities. I mean, that be, to me is the definition of a nation. You can say you're applying Western values on everybody, and that is exactly my point. Because the reason is when you have no values, when you say that all values are the same, what happens? the evil rises, right? You give the same vote (coughs) to Saudi Arabia, you know, this is, and this is what happens. Obviously, the logic, the logic of the United Nations takes a while to play out. But now you have like Saudi Arabia on the Human Rights Commission, you know, so the Human Rights Commission is debating things like, you know, how can we stop people insulting religion? How can we stop, you know, because they're, you know, they're Muslims. How can we stop people from committing blasphemy? Committing blasphemy is a human right. That is one of the human rights they should be protecting. But instead, they've got these tyrants on the Human Rights Commission talking about how to stop blasphemy. So if you have no values, which is basically the left-wing philosophy that all values are the same, ultimately evil rises because you're giving the same vote to the good guys as the bad guys, and they're going to be... In, when it comes to the leaders of nations, they're going to be more tyrannies. You know, so you're going to have all these people who have no legitimacy whatsoever with the same vote as an American president. All right. So the reason I bring this up is because there's been a lot of noise, including from me, about Donald Trump and the white supremacists and the anti-Semites. <clears throat> and I've never said that Donald Trump is an anti-Semite. His daughter's a uh, converted Jew, I think. Uh, you know, I've never heard him say anything himself that's Particularly anti-Semitic. I don't think he's a racist, even though they hit him with that because he's said stuff about the Mexicans. You know, he's he's talking about a problem, he's addressing a problem, people's fears. He plays, he plays to the bigots, he plays to the white supremacists and the anti-Semites, and I know because they're on my Twitter feed and in my email, and you know, attacking me and calling me names and all this. And he plays to them by kind of saying things that sound like code that they'll like. You know, who knows what he'll do since he changes his mind every two minutes. But they're frustrated, and he plays to those frustrations. Bill McGurn, great guy, writing in the Wall Street Journal, has a, a column today where he's noticed the similarities between the way Trump violates political correctness and the way Bill Maher violates political correctness. And he says... Americans are tired of the pieties that prevent our leaders from addressing problems honestly. They see, for example, their president refusing to utter the words Islamist terror even after bloody terrorist rampages that leave Americans dead. These include the 2009 attack on Fort Hood, which was called workplace violence, even though the killer, Army Major Nadal Hassan, had been in communications with an overseas al-Qaeda leader and was shouting Allahu Akbar as he went about his murderous shooting spree. I mean, this drives people insane. It drives people nuts when they won't say Islamic terror when Islamic people are committing acts of terror, which sounds like Islamic terror to me, all right? So Bill McGurn goes on and says, when Mr. Trump vows to kill not just the terrorists, but their wives and children too, it doesn't follow that this is what his supporters are in fact cheering on. More likely, what they hear Mr. Trump saying is this, I'm going to keep you safe, and I'm not going to let political correctness get in the way. That's what they hear him saying. At a time when two out of three Americans are telling pollsters that political correctness is a huge problem for our country, Mr. Trump is tapping into a powerful sentiment. So what Bill is, is saying, basically, is that we're so frustrated by the stuff that I've been saying to him. We're so frustrated by this silencing of people, silencing of their thoughts, that when a guy overstates or you know, overshoots the mark we hear, we just hear the honesty. We hear that sound, that beautiful sound of someone saying something that we're all kind of thinking. And maybe he's saying the worst of what we're thinking, but we don't care. You know, I mean, we all have bad thoughts, good thoughts, but this, this stuff concerns people on the left, on the right. It it concerns me. It concerns me that he is playing to that rage that he calls on people to beat up hecklers in a crowd. You know, that's dangerous, dangerous stuff. And this concerns good people on the left and on the right. And if you don't think there are good people on the left, you're just not paying attention. I mean, John Stuart Mill said, he who knows only his own side of the case knows little of that. So we have to listen. You know, you know, the, the problem of bigotry is a real problem. Here's what I would just want to say, how the UN plays into this. The left prides itself on not being bigoted. But in fact, of course, their entire system is bigoted. The system is bigoted. When you don't have when you don't have values, when you don't put one value on top of another, the evil rises. You know, when, where values are considered equal, evil rises. And that's how you see this uh, sympathy for Palestine, the sympathy for uh, Islamic terrorists against Israel, this free nation. And the anti-Semitism on the left is rampant. It wraps itself in anti-Zionism you know, saying, no, it's not the Jews we hate, it's just all the Jews in that particular country and anyone who supports them or is Jewish. You know, that's basically their point of view. There's a, Roger Cohen in the New York Times today writes a piece that says, last month, he's talking about the virulent anti-Semitism on the left. Last month, the co-chairman of the Oxford University Labor Club, Alex Chalmers, quit in protest at what he described as rampant anti-Semitism among members. A large proportion of the club, he said, and the student... Left, and the student left in Oxford more generally, have some kind of problem with the Jews. Chalmers referred to members of the executive committee throwing around the term Zio, which I think is short for Zio-Nazi, it's a Ku Klux Klan term, high-level expressions of solidarity with Hamas and explicit defense of their tactics of indiscriminately murdering civilians. And the dismissal of any concern about anti-Semitism is just the Zionist crying wolf. A recent Oberlin alumna, Isabel Stort Sherrill, wrote in a Facebook post of the students she'd heard dismissing the Holocaust as mere white-on-white crime. Okay, Now, I have to tell you, I'm exhausted today. I hope it doesn't show too much. I'm running on coffee and steam because I'm recording my new book, which comes out in September, my, the memoir of my conversion to Christianity, called The Great Good Thing a secular jew comes to faith in christ and i hope you will go on and pre-order it It would be very helpful to me if you think it's interesting i can tell you that one of the great things about recording an audiobook is it's the only time as an author you can tell whether your book is any good or not because when you read it out loud and you read it for drama and you also see the reaction of the engineers and everything you get this immediate reaction you can tell if the book is good this book is good it's very very good and be the best book i've ever written and i think it's a it's a compelling story and one of the things that I dealt with as I went along is the idea of anti-Semitism because I'm a scrappy guy and I did not want anybody to think that I was leaving Judaism because of some hostility to Judaism and I didn't want anyone to think that I was kowtowing to the anti-Semites because sometimes Jews think that. They think if you converted, it was some way of getting out of the anti-Semitism. And I write a long chapter in this book on anti-Semitism and the place that I came down in the end is why is it, why is it the Jews who always get stuck with this. Why is it that all hatred always ends up with the Jews? It's like the Jews is like a flagpole that Satan plants in territory that he's claimed. And so you see it, you know, you see it on the left and you see it on the right. And personally, I think it is because people hate the Jews because they hate God. I think it's that simple. I think Jews are the people who transmitted God back into Western civilization after we lost them in the Garden of Eden. I think they brought that idea back. God not only constrains your actions by verifying your conscience, but he also shines a light on your flaws and your sins. In the light of God, we all look pretty small and pretty lousy. And people hate that. They hate God because they hate themselves. They hate what they really are. And I think that that is why you see anti-Semitism flaring on the left and the right whenever it goes too far. And the only thing I will say is on the right, with Mr. Trump, what you have is some bad hat individuals, and he's playing to them, and he shouldn't, and it's wrong, and it says something about his character that I think is really bad, but it really is individuals. What you have on the left is you have a bad system, a system of multiculturalism that allows evil to rise. You see it in the UN, you see it in the universities, you see it in the Democrat Party. It's everywhere, and you can tell because of that anti-Semitism which masquerades as anti-Zionism, and it's just built into the system. There are good people on the right and good people on the left, but the left has a bad system, and it ultimately plays to evil. Let us return to our wonderful sponsors. Reagan.com, your privacy is under attack. Big tech companies are scanning your emails and targeting you with unwanted advertising. Aren't they ever? Government agencies are collecting data at an alarming rate. You can get your privacy back by getting an email address at Reagan.com. You get your name, Reagan.com is your private email address, and not only do you get to put President Reagan in your email, which is great, you also know that your emails will never be scanned or shared with third parties, not anybody. So go to ReaganPrivacy.com and secure your personal private email address, and if you do it now, you get two free bonus months. So it is International Women's Day. <laughs> Hooray! Yes, we going to <laughs> cheer for everyone. Now, I I did a video about this a little while ago, where I pointed out that International Women's Day is a great day to remember all the women in other countries, you know, who don't have it anywhere near as good as we women have it here in the West. You know, they go out, and it's really tough for women in other places that's not the West. And every woman who's in the West should wake up on International Women's Day and go, Yes! I don't have to be an international woman. I get to be a Western woman. Isn't that great? I also had another suggestion in this video, so you can play just a minute of it. Now, I can't say how much I enjoyed International Women's Day. Really, I can't. But it did occur to me that perhaps we should also declare an International Men's Day or even just National Men's Day, or just Men's Day at my place. Bring your own snacks. On International Men's Day, we'll celebrate the contributions of men to various fields of endeavor. For instance, technology, where men invented everything. (laughs) Yes, just about everything ever invented was invented by a man. Except alphabet blocks, which are great. But cell phones, cars, planes, computers, toasters, flush toilets, light bulbs, scrabble, antibiotics, the ukulele, and everything else was invented by a man. In the realm of science, it was men who discovered every single thing that has ever been discovered except for... no, it was everything. Hey, this International Men's Day is going to be a busy day, isn't it? Because whether you're looking at the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, or watching a Shakespeare play, or utilizing the freedoms guaranteed by our Constitution, you're enjoying the work of someone male, so ladies, on this International Men's Day, why not show your appreciation for men by giving your man something he'll enjoy, like sex, or well, that's pretty much what we enjoy. <laughs> every time, everybody, somebody, time, somebody hears that, they say, "What about Madame Curie?" You know, I just, I, you know, confess that Madame Curie did discover uranium, I think it was, and then died of radiation poisoning because you know she. Didn't know what she was doing. So, <laughs> but, but, I mean, just, just being fair, which brings us to Ghostbusters. They're remaking Ghostbusters. You know, I saw Ghostbusters. I have actually a good Ghostbusters story. I was, at that point, a starving writer. I got a job as what they call a reader for Columbia Pictures in New York. And a reader, what he does is he reads material that comes in and then he writes an outline so the executives can pretend they read it and say, turn it down. Basically, that's it. You send him a novel a little guy like me, you know, being paid a little, you know, uh, just a barely living wage, reads the novel, writes an outline, then the guy says, "Yeah, I didn't like it because it wasn't didn't wasn't fast moving enough." You know, he's reading that off the page that I wrote, okay? But one of the benefits I got was that I got to see all the movies that were coming out before they came out. And so Ghostbusters came out and I saw it maybe a month before it came out. Little private screening room we had downstairs, just we would leave work and just walk down and watch it and i looked at this thing and i thought that's maybe one of the funniest movies i've ever seen no one's going to get it this movie's going to tank because it's just too hip and cool nobody is going to understand you know it's just it's just over the heads of most people and of course totally wrong it came out and it was a major major smash but i could see at least i will say that i could see right away that it was just absolutely hilarious so now they're remaking it what is this 30 years later, something like that, they are remaking it, and what an innovation, they're making it with women. So they put out this trailer, and here's just a little glimpse of this trailer.
1: We have dedicated our whole lives to studying the paranormal. Now there's sightings all over the city. There are people out there that need our help. Holtzman, you're a brilliant engineer. Aaron, no one's better at quantum physics than you. We can provide a real service join the club you guys are really smart about this science stuff but i know new york and i can borrow a car from my uncle uh you didn't disclose that the vehicle was gonna be a hearse it's a cadillac
0: okay (laughs) (laughs) so it's so the trailer is terrible all right it's paul feig who is making a living basically as a guy who directs coarse grotesque low women's comedies melissa mccarthy that all the critics say isn't it wonderful that women can now be as coarse and grotesque as the men in judd apatow comedies that's basically paul feek's career okay and some of them you know bridesmaids had some laughs in it i thought i thought it was like okay and and some of these people i'm not a big melissa mccarthy fan i got to admit kristen Wieg, is that how it's wig she's she's funny and a good actress Uh, Leslie Jones, I don't really know as much because she's on Saturday Night Live and nobody watches Saturday Night Live anymore. Um, She is... So, of course, so what happens, right? This thing comes out. The film is supposed to be, be released in July. It comes out, and at first the left gets very, you know, protective of of it. Here's The Guardian, the the socialist paper in Britain. Feig's movie looked like being a liberal's wet dream, with the filmmaker single-handedly writing all Hollywood's Bechdel test baiting wrongs. The Bechdel test is any test, is any movie in which women never, are never on screen without a man or something, and they If they are on screen together, they're talking about a man. So if you fail the Bechdel test, you're not a feminist film. So we all have to watch very carefully to make sure these films are, you know, are passing the Bechtel test. And, and the left got angry. Why? Because the black girl isn't a scientist. First of all, the idea that Kristen Wiig is a scientist, uh, already you've lost me completely. <laughs> you're the best at, you're the best at quantum mechanics, whatever. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, so that, so the left is eating, devouring itself over the fact that the black girl is street smart and the other girls are scientists. And, and Leslie, uh, uh, Jones, the the girl, has been forced to come out and say, you know, knock it off. This is my part, and I'm I play a smart person too, and blah 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 blah. All this nonsense, identity politics. Of course, on Twitter, this has been a big fight. But the f- hilarious thing have been the reactions online. My favorite. Do, do we have that picture of the the promo of the uh, of the movie? Gavin McGinnis, they're all. Start, if you can't see it, it's the women standing around the Ghostbusters mobile, and they're all standing in these kind of stridently masculine positions, you know, like arms crossed and with their rifles strapped over their shoulders. And Gavin McGinnis, the very funny comedian and commentator who's completely anti-feminist, just looked at this and said, "Women don't stand like that. Not only do women not stand like that, men don't stand like that." Teenage boys stand like that when they're trying to show people how macho they are. And so you reduce these women to posing like teenage boys. McGinnis had a beautiful thing online, just hilarious. Listen to this. Women are scared of ghosts. That is a good thing.
1: We like that women are not badasses. We like that they're scared. They have a thing that makes babies. If you ever see a female spider, it's this big. The male spider is that big. We don't need him for much. He can die. In fact, sometimes the female spider will just eat him for protein. This is an intricate system here, and it makes babies. So we want you to be guarded. We'll stand in front of you. We'll take the bullet. It's not normal for you to put your body in harm's way. That is why women have such fruity drinks. We drink raw (laughs) bourbon, straight. It tastes like gasoline. We like poisoning ourselves. Women have to go against their instincts and say, put an umbrella (laughs) in it, throw some fruit on it, and just cover it in sugar. That way I can trick this temple into not knowing it's polluting itself. Now, there is a way to do this movie. You make them real women. You make them scared of f***ing ghosts. You make them interested in boys. You make them interested in their looks. They don't stand like this. They try to be attractive. That's what 95% of women do. Sure, there's some bull dykes who, who do stand like this, but that's not your average gal.
0: <laughs> I love this guy. He is he is really funny. And th- the thing about it is, of course, is, is the trailer is terrible. <coughs> I mean... Pardon me. It is just not funny at all. And it's it's like, you know, and the thing is, you could take the Ghostbuster element out of it and it would still just be a kind of Melissa McCarthy coarse comedy with people slapping each other and falling down. In fact, one guy, we had this one guy, what was his name? Angry Joe. Put up Angry Joe. Here's another guy from this. This guy, like a million hits online. Let's listen to him.
1: I didn't have a problem with the all-female cast. That's that was that's not the the issue here. The issue here is that you're treating Ghostbusters in such a a, a low rent, like borrowing this license as uh, a, a layer of uh, dressing, so that you can have one of those generic uh, comedies, the, these Melissa comedies uh I I don't I don't want this to be real <laughs> I just,
0: I just love this. this guy can't even stand that re- re- this has entered reality. <laughs> well here, here's my take on this. I don't understand why it's a triumph for women to do what men did 30 years ago. I don't understand why that constitutes a triumph for women to be imitation men. I don't understand in Paul Feig comedies why it is a triumph for women to be as degraded as men. I mean, you want to to be a man? Write Hamlet. You know, you want to be a man, invent an airplane. Don't be men at their worst. Don't be men like when they make, you know, like, four-letter word jokes over and over again and laugh like 12-year-olds. We know we're like that. We're not proud of it. You know, <laughs> what, what, the, what the hell are you imitating that for? You know, I mean, if you're going to imitate, if you're going to imitate men, like rush into a burning building and crack, carry a woman out on your shoulder. That's a, that's what how you imitate men. So I don't get it. I don't get why that's a triumph. And it seems to me, it always seems to me that feminism elevates masculine values and then asks women to live into those values and women can only be second rate men why should they be first rate men they're not men they're women you know so i don't understand why you know The left just turns everything into the opposite of what it's supposed to be. You know, it turns everything into the opposite of what they say they're supposed to be. They want equality for women. But how do women become equal if all they're doing is imitating things that men already did? You know, I mean, I I don't get it. I don't see why female Ghostbusters is a, a triumph. I don't see why female coarse comedy is a triumph. Listen, let's be blunt. Men are funnier than women because men have to make women laugh. Or the race will die. You know, men have to entertain women, or else there will be no more babies, you know? <laughs> because why would women go through that if they're not being entertained? You know, women don't have to women don't have to make men laugh. Women just have to look at us and we're gone, you know. I mean men have to make women laugh. That's why we're funny. Ah so anyway, it just seems in the UN, in Hollywood, everywhere, in the Democrat Party, everywhere. The left has developed an almost perfect system for turning everything into the opposite of what they say it's going to be. So you get to the U.N. and the tyrants rise. You get to feminism and women become second-rate something else that they should be. Instead of first-rate women, they become second-rate men. This picture, who knows? Maybe the picture will be hilariously funny. Uh, I'm kind of doubting it. But we'll see. We'll see. All right, stuff I like. You know, people keep complaining uh, when I talk about video games that I only talk about video games that are on your iPad or your iPhone. And the reason I do that is because I know a lot of people don't play video games. But if you want to know, I, I feel, see, I, I saw the start of video games. I saw, I, I remember walking into a college dorm and seeing the first Pond. And it was like that scene in 2001 where the monkeys discover the Earthstone, Stone. You know, I was like, bah, 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 bah. you know, I was so thrilled because I'm a ga- I love games, you know. And, and all, as, as a little kid, as a little kid, this was true. I used to lie in bed at night and think, wouldn't it be cool if they had games that worked automatically? You know, if like you just pressed a button. And, you know, I mean, if there had been video games when I was a kid, I would have I would have never seen the light of day. I would have died like a little white, shriveled, pale kid with my with my controller in my hand. So I saw these video games come along when when Space Invaders was invented. I was a newspaper man, and it was in a bar around the corner. I played it so much, I got a tremendous lump on the back of my wrist, I had to go, I went to the doctor, I thought I was dying, (laughs) I got this lump, and he said, have you been making any repeated pressing motions with your, you know, and I thought, I thought, ooh, maybe I'm playing this a little too much, you know, so I've seen them come, and I've seen them go, and they're right at this minute, I feel that they're in a kind of trough, a creative trough, that they're not as good, the best video game I ever played, I, I would, I say this without reservation, I don't think there's anything that has ever come anywhere close, is Ico, has anybody ever played Ico? 2001, 2002, you can still get it online for like 10 bucks. It is terrific. This it's the story of a little kid who is born to a tribe somewhere and he's born with horns. And because he's different, they decide he has to be locked away. And this happens every now and again in this tribe. So they have a place where they send him which is like this ruined castle and they put him in a coffin basically and they lock him up. And there's an earthquake and he gets out. And this castle is haunted, and he has to find his way out. And basically, it's a platformer, but it's three dimensional. But it has a genuinely touching story. I think I think it's the only story in a video game that ever touched me. At the end of the story, it actually had an ending where I thought, like, oh, gee, that's kind of moving, you know. I mean, video games are not the deepest, richest stories ever. This one just has an atmosphere, a beautiful haunting, wistful atmosphere, and a beautiful ending really good game. If you can get your hands on it, if, a, if you have a PlayStation that'll play uh, you know back-engineered back games, uh, Ico. Greatest game ever. Stuff I like. That's it. That's it. International Women's Day is one half hour closer to being over. So I think if I've done nothing else, I've gotten you through a half hour of International Women's Day. We'll be back tomorrow when the all the other days, which are Men's Day, begin. <laughs> this is the Andrew Claven Show. I'm Andrew Claven. I will see you tomorrow.